Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Welcome today, Dr. Elizabeth. Thank you, Emily. So if you don't mind, just give me a brief synopsis of who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, I am, I have a doctorate in leadership from Gonzaga University. And um, my dissertation was on fear and transformational learning. Um, And it was through that whole process that I came to understand fear in a very different way than I had for like the rest of my life. Um, And I actually had to argue with people that I was very intimidated by for my ideas and had some very um, fulfilling outcomes as a result of that. If you don't mind, just tell us, what are you not sorry for? I'm not sorry for not doing what I'm told. And as, uh, I grew up as a very good girl and, um, it didn't get me anywhere. Um, and now that I have just embraced this fear expert place, I I resisted for a long time calling myself an expert in anything. Um, But I do. Even with a doctorate? Even with a doctorate. (laughs) But yeah, somebody pointed out to me, like, you know more about this than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And you are, you keep learning about it. So that's the thing is that I haven't, there's, there's been more research coming out since I finished my studies, like over 10 years ago now. And we're getting more and more discoveries, but there's still this dominant paradigm that pits you against your best ally in navigating life and what's important to you in um, ways that are really manipulative. Tell me more about that and how it has helped you to not do as you were told and and given you this shift and this differential that's almost a niche for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really grateful for, um, I'm, I'm a big nerd and I ask a lot of questions that ultimately that's what a doctorate gets you is it teaches you how to ask really good questions. And so I'm all, always critically um, assessing whatever anybody's telling me these days. And part of what is really helpful with understanding fear as an ally rather than something that is something that you should ignore or um, uh, get over or not have anymore. Uh, Understanding it as an ally helps you understand what is important for you and in this moment. And that can change for a lot of people. Sometimes, you know, there's there's like this core thing that's really important to you over time. Um, Other times it's like, instances like is it really important to pay attention to this thing or that thing and so that kind of brings it around to the manipulation part is in our consumer attention economy our attention 
is being sold, is being marketed, and we're not making any money off of it. Mm-hmm. And our te- fear is our basic emotion that guides our attention. And it's, it's how we have evolved. It's how you know our ancestors did not get eaten. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very useful for us. And because it is what grabs our attention, this is how uh, marketers, uh, politicians, people with any kind of an agenda, when they want to grab your attention, they will scare you because then you're paying attention. And that's so true with my work. The one thing I always said is fear mongering is the easiest to do. It doesn't take much thought processes for it. Like I can scare you to death with facts. And I guess the more education you get, the more research you get, the more facts you can get on top of it. And shoot, Mm -hmm. you don't have to have that um, as well. You can just Google it. And now they're making up articles just to scare you. Um, So how do you lead with fear, but not in a fear mongering approach? That is a perfect question. Um, So leading with fear. So thinking of fear as your capacity to pay attention to something. Um, And it's basically telling you, pay attention, this is important. So as fear arises in you, um, notice what is triggering it and try, and if you can unpack it, I mean, if it's, you know, a a slobbering dog staring you down, you don't really need to unpack that. But most of us don't have to deal with like imminent threats to our physical safety um, on a day-to-day basis. And that, okay, now I have to back that up. There are people that have to deal with that on a daily basis. Um, The protests that are, um, taking over our country and our world is, you know, proof positive that these that people are willing to put their lives on the line to stop living like that. Uh, and even in that, so they're walking into our activists and our protesters are walking into physical danger because doing that is preferable to constantly being afraid of being killed every time you drive or you walk to the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a leader, understanding that fear is what brings attention, you can talk to talk about what's important for all of us to share without scaring people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, a lot of people talk about like, feel the fear and do it anyway. So there's some truth to that. Because if you're feeling fear about like talking to someone you admire, because you know, you've built up all these ideas about who they are and what they think. And you and believing that your fear is telling you that you shouldn't do that, that it's dangerous, isn't accurate. Your fear is telling you that talking to this person is really important to you. And if you talk to that person, even as you're feel, afraid to do it, that's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not like ignoring your fear, it's listening to your fear that this is important and do it. And sometimes your fear is telling you this is important. You take a look, it's like, oh no, I want nothing to do with that, right? So like you get in with a new group, like a new community group or something, and the hairs on the back of your neck are starting to stand up and your your stomach's starting to roil a little bit. You don't quite know what's happening, but you know that it's, and you just start looking and you start noticing how people are like, the words that they're using or the behavior that they're um, doing around you that just doesn't sit well with you. And so you're out of there. 
Now, if you, some people would say, well, you just need to stick it out. If you're just nervous or whatever, just stick out. That's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been taught that our natural instinct is to fight or flee, but that is literally conditioned. So um, I found out through my research that that fight or flight thing is based on some research back in, I think, the 50s of uh, male rats. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, the scientists, very good scientists, published their findings that these rats, when presented with something threatening, they, they fight or they run. The media at the time ran with it, just like ours does now, and says, oh, natural, our natural response to fear is fight or flight. Yeah. <laughs> and a huge disconnect, right? And so now there's been more research, some that came out like 40 years ago that few people know about that went through that, basically did that same sort of study, only instead of male rats, they used men and women, humans. Hmm. And they found two more responses. So yes, fight and flight is there, but two more responses that they called tend and befriend, which I call care and connect because I like alliteration. And so so now we're up to four responses and more research has come out and we've got two more, fake and freeze. Freeze Mm -hmm. is starting to get some traction. But so we've got six responses, not two. And the fight and flight, they both function to separate you from whatever's scaring you. Even, you know, if you fight it, you conquer it, so it's gone, you're separated still, and you flee, uh, it's obvious. The, the care and connect keeps you engaged with what's scaring you. So that's the, the like the fear, feel of fear and do it anyway. And then the fake and the freeze, they both operate to buy you time. Like, if I just hold still, maybe the scary thing will go away. That's kind of what we're doing with lockdown. <laughs> like just hold still, <laughs> wait for it to go away. And and the fake is like, you know, um, like a lot of us will make ourselves look bigger or more intimidating than we actually are in, when something's scary, you know, like we'll we'll fake like we're really dangerous to try to over, to you know buy time with the thing that's scaring us. So all of those, all of us use all of those all the time. And it's so cool too, that you've even known that because it goes back to what you're not sorry for, because mm -hmm. you took something that they told you, Hey, this is what fear is. What like I've been told and I'm physiologist, like it's fight, flight. And we, we know freeze, but I, I love how you've added and you just explored and you looked for more that, Mm -hmm instead of taking what is told to you. And I call that a growth mindset. So how has this helped unleash you even more after the fact to help others? Uh, Yeah, so my goal when I got my doctorate was I felt like I wanted to be a professor. I'm a big nerd again, and I love teaching, I love reading, I love talking about big ideas, but somewhere in the middle, as I accepted my expertise and was talking with, you know, like really famous icons and they're like calling me friend and we're like have a peer relationship now, which still just kind of blows my mind. Um, I've come to understand that I can do more than narrow my focus in a classroom 
and teach about, you know, like this particular period in literary history or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've been doing is working particularly with higher ed and nonprofits to expand uh, people's understanding of what is possible and challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that this, this is another really interesting thing that I noticed fairly recently is a lot of our cultural stories, the character that maintains the status quo is the hero. The one that tries to break that or interfere with the status quo is the villain. And I started as I'm like watching these shows like the Avengers or, you know, those sorts of things. I start sympathizing with the villains because I'm like, you know, what they're protecting is not helpful anymore. And so let's try something else. And I think that I've kind of become a child of our times in that way. And that's unique too, in the aspect that you're continuing to use what you're not told to help in essence, morph the next generation of not exactly what they need to be told, but an invitation for new ways of thinking. And so as we were talking, as you were talking about earlier, there's a uh, fight, flight, freeze, but you also said uh, the care and connect. And I can think of times whenever I've used that and I can almost say at times it's a manipulation way. Like I can honestly say so that I can, I'm going to care and connect. So I don't have to deal with the big scary monster. I don't have to, for me, it's a people please. I don't want to deal with the argument. I don't have to deal with that fight. So talk with that for a minute about how not doing what you are told, again, can help open your mind and open to greater, bigger things. Because if you know, if you just did what you told and said, ah, oh, it's, uh, it's like fight or flight, that's it. Like you would have never explored these others. You never went forward. You never went after it. So talk about that. So a lot of our common spaces are designed for elite white men. And academia is one of those. Um, I just recently, someone pointed out to me, like literally our cars are designed for men. And that's maybe why I'm having so many problems with my hips and why I hurt when I have to drive a lot. Because no matter how I adjust the seat, it's not designed for my body. Um, and in that way, thinking about how the world in which we operate has been designed, like unpack that, look, follow the money, you know, so to speak, follow the trail of how this has come to be this way and figure out if this works for you and if it works for other people that are similar to you, people that you care about. Mm-hmm. And I do this with my daughter. She gets tired of it a lot. Uh, she's in her mid twenties, and um, she's she's very much in the social media and watching YouTube stars. And she'll you know say certain things. I'm like, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. And she, oh mother. Um, I, I'm I'm interested. You know, like recently, my sister, who's a registered nurse said that you shouldn't eat meat because it rots in your stomach. I'm like, that's what digestion is. <laughs> she knows, I, but, 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 you know, okay. How, how do you know this? Well, I, I must've learned it a long time ago. 
I'm like, yeah, now, now you're making it up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the point too, is that sometimes these stories are being told and I actually did a thing today and it's called the extraordinary life. And we looked at, it's called don't uh, quit getting owned. And we looked at the different environmental factors, like the temperature, 5 a.m. shoveling snow is the number one time for a heart attack. And it's like the first time I heard that, it's like, what? I'm like, no, it's not. And then you look at the research, you're like, oh, they've known this for a while. And then mm -hmm. your zip code is the number one predictor of, or can be a top predictor of your life expectancy. Like, why is that? Like, and all these things that we don't know about. Yellow lighting in coffee shops so that you can actually more likely to drink more coffee. There are things that we don't know, but mm -hmm. we just take things for granted, you know, or we take it at face value. And I love that people trust. There's a great book that actually talks about, oh, and I can't think of the name right now, but it basically it goes to the part that, mo that we actually are very trusting human beings. We have to. Um, yeah. And it's the thing is the survival is, is to trust others that there's actually very few times where we're especially in a human to human contact like i'm going to trust you because i'm talking to you and i have a conversation there creates that connection therefore comparative to the big bag scary people are actually usually people that we trust and that we didn't think at a lot of the times in our sphere of influence that would hurt or do things to us and so in in guiding that conversation on is not doing what I am told in the aspect of, hey, let's look at it. Um, and you may can speak more to this too. One of my biggest frustrations I have with social media is the world is doom and gloom. It's bad and it's awful. But you ask people if they know anybody personally that is horrible, they, they can't name one, but they'll stereotype based off of mm -hmm. uh, the political party or whatever it may be. Talk to that for a minute on not doing what you're told and actually going out and connecting with people. To, yeah, to which is them. which is more complicated in these 2020 days. Um, yeah, part of that, particularly around social media, is with it, it started with cell phones. I noticed this as a professor on college campus in the late 90s. Um, people would rather than talk with the people that they were physically with, they would be on their cell phone. And it, be, it starts that trend of choosing who you're going to interact with. So the value of diverse interactions and strangers is immense. We, we don't even know. I, like, I, I realized the other day, like, I really miss talking to strangers. Mm -hmm. like, we, even when I go out to the grocery store, like it, I can't really like have an exchange with the checker or anything. Like you have to be so careful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and part of this too is with like social media, like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Um, again, fear is what gets your attention. So these um, rage waves that happen, they grab people's attention. It's like people are really upset. Something must be happening. I have to look at this. And if you get, if you're not careful, that can become your world. Mm -hmm. So what, what you believe is what you experience and vice versa, right? So mm -hmm. um, when you are in a bubble of these rage waves or um, people saying that, you know, humans are horrible, had a very intense argument with a philosophy professor about that. 
um, is, is what you're looking at. So like the argument with the philosophy professor, he was presenting us with a study of that humans are basically violent and the study was based on killing other humans, everything from a single murder to war. Mm -hmm. Like, well, did the study take into account taking care of babies? <laughs> did the study take into account anything that women do? Mm -hmm. No, it only looked at violent things. So you're going to find violent things. And with like these algorithms that are being produced by a particular class and demographic of people, they're gonna look at certain things that they know, and they don't know everything mm -hmm. as much as they like to think they do. They don't know everything and they don't know everyone. And so it's, it's difficult when you get your information and your social connection just within these chosen groups of people. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's such a, a good one to, to end on is the aspect of just being aware, self-awareness and, and being aware. And that's what got you to where you are. And it's it's not saying that anybody's way is better than the other, but it's just an invitation to, hey, take a moment and see what's kind of conditioned you to be and think and do the things that, that you're doing. And for me, I think the world's amazing. I think humans are amazing. I think the more I connect with humanity and connect with others, it's just great to see how much people care and are open or honest and, and transparent with their feelings. But it also took fear of me stepping out of a, a quote unquote comfort zone and trying something new. And what you were saying is that that fear gives that attention and how can we do that forward? So my final question for you is, People that are apologizing for doing what they're told day in and day out, almost being like a human robot, what would you tell to them? You are powerful. <laughs> you do not need to apologize for your existence in this world. This world needs you. Bring who you are. We need you. Don't apologize for that. I love it. Such a great way to end. And this was such a great conversation. Because I know me and you can get really nerdy really quick. And I love just the, the new things that you brought to my life and, and adding the care and connection and, and things that I not thought about, you know, even with having a <laughs> like physiology is my thing. You know, it's these things that every year it's like we're discovering more, but we do have to peel back this onion and peel back the layer. So I am so grateful and I am so thankful for you. And I, and I appreciate everybody that listened. Have an awesome day. You absolutely deserve it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time. <laughs>